This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Content is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. We've been talking a lot lately about my favorite topic, the future of content. There have been so many advancements within virtual reality and augmented reality that they're becoming game changers within the industry. A major aspect of content innovation is the art of immersive experiences. From branded content and theatrical entertainment to music and amusement parks, it's all possible thanks in part to 3D audio. Recently, Sennheiser, they're known for high-quality audio products, including the mic that I'm speaking on right now. They hosted a masterclass about the experience and considerations of 3D audio. That was in collaboration with Mouth Media Network, and they featured experts from New Inc., the first museum-led incubator for art, design, and technology. How cool is that? It turns out a key consideration is the simple act of really listening. Coming up, you'll hear all of this along with an extensive Q&A session with the audience. More after this. From New York City, you're listening to Content Is Your Business, conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a, another just phenomenal Mouth Media Live. And uh, this is a really, really cool one today. We are here for a special Sennheiser Audio Masterclass. Now, something that's been coming up a lot in the tech world and the, and the audio world has been this idea of 3D audio. We all know 3D video and film. What the heck is 3D audio and why is it, why is it just exploding all over the place? Well, we have the right people to talk about this today thanks to a partnership with Sennheiser. This is a, an actual Sennheiser Masterclass we have with us today Julia Kagansky, the cultural director of New Inc., which is an art, design, and technology accelerator led by the New Museum in New York City. And with Julia, Daniel Perlin and Seth Kranzler, both members of New Inc., and they're with us today, and they're going to take us through this journey of 3D audio in just one moment as the show starts right now. Wow. <clears throat> um, thank you all for that warm welcome. Um, uh, yeah, super excited to be here and talk about 3D audio. Um, just a quick kind of temperature test. Um, how many of you people work in sound? Okay, all right. Um, and how many of you guys work in maybe a more visual field? Okay, just a sense of like who's in the room, right? Um, so my name's Julia, I'm the director of New Inc. Um, New Inc is an incubator for art design and tech and um, what we really do is it's a space for creatives um, who are uh, experimenting with new technology, experimenting with new forms of creative expression, um, oftentimes also thinking about how to bring uh, this way of working to audiences and to the marketplace. So uh, definitely having this kind of 
business entrepreneurial strategy around their creative work. Um, but a big philosophy of the program is uh, one that's focused on interdisciplinarity, so a combination of different uh, modalities of uh, thinking and working, different disciplines coming together and informing one another. Um, and also this idea that artists and designers and creatives um, because they're divergent thinkers, help us uh, imagine a wider range of possibilities for what the tools that we have at our disposal today uh, might be able to do. And you know, also just ask really interesting questions about how these tools might be utilized and what their impact on society and culture might be. So um, I say all of that because I really feel like that's one of the uh, unique perspectives that we can bring to this conversation. I myself uh, am a curator, cultural producer, and writer, so I'm not an expert in uh, 3D audio or binaural audio. However, I am very fortunate to have with me today um, two New Inc. members um, who are experts in this, um, and uh, you know have done a range of different projects as um, sound artists, as creative technologists, as um, even uh, you know as as an architect. I think you can have an interesting idea about um, how three D audio has uh, an impact on our world. So um, I want to start off by having um, my two. Uh, co-panelists talk a little bit about their work um, to give you guys a sense of who they are and how they've worked with uh, 3D audio in the past. Daniel, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Hi. Oh, that was nice. Let's do that again. Ready? Hi. Oh, yeah, that's good. Because I didn't go like, yeah, I was just like, hi. So that's what I do a lot. I just listen. And if you want to start from a place of listening, that little brief pause that I gave right now, that's where I start every day. Every day I spend, I do an exercise for the past 14 years called the listening exercise, where I take a minute, close my eyes, and I just listen. And when I open my eyes, I write down in my own words, in my own words, what I listen to, not what I heard, what I listen to. Sometimes I listen to the world that's around me, like the buzzing of these lights and the echo and reverb of this. Other times I listen to my heartbeat. Other times I listen to the thoughts that are in my head. And I write it down in my own words. And then I draw a picture, because that's a great place to jump off. And so I work as a, actually as an experienced designer. I started as a sound designer. And the reason that I use listening as a place to jump off is because, this is kind of mind-blowing, but you're all talk to yourselves. How many people in this room talk to themselves? Cool. Is that the same voice? That's right. And is that the same voice you use when you talk to other people? No. Is it the same voice you use when you go to write? No. You hear other voices in your head. So we get these opportunities if we take a minute or even a second to listen to our own mind, the way consciousness forms. And there we can begin to design. So at its core, I believe actually the design practice is sound design. It's listening design. And so from there, I began my practice a number of years, and I've done installations and galleries and museums like MoMA and Guggenheim and those kinds of things. But I also really started to be really listen to the world around me, and I realized we got some real problems. We have real problems on it every day. I lived in Brazil a long time. I saw that, how blessed I was with the privileges that I have in the United States. And I came back here, and I said, we have to start taking on these problems. So right now, I actually joined New Inc., as a designer, 
as an experienced designer, listening to the world around me to take on some problems around climate change. So what I'm working on at New Inc., I consider to be a sound design problem, a listening problem, but it's actually working on climate change. So that's where I'm at. It's a little bit weird. I know it's a bit of a stretch, but that's actually how I do my everyday practice. And uh, yeah, we're, uh, I'm super excited to be part of New Inc. because I think, as Julia mentioned, it's a transdisciplinary operation. It's people from every discipline coming together, throwing them in the mix like a good feijoada or gumbo or anything, and coming out with some things that you'd never expect. So I get to meet incredible people every day I go in and hang out, but I also get to get challenged, and they poke holes in my problems and say, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm trying. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that I get is that I get to listen to others, and every once in a while, somebody <laughs> occasionally listens to me too. So that's what I really like about New Ink a lot. But what about um, some of your work with sound? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, the technical stuff. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that. I've done uh, a bunch of stuff, uh, performance-based uh, media practice. I just came back. I did a, a large dome in the first ever, I guess, Seoul Biennial of Architecture. We did a 20-foot dome. And I imagined what it was like to be a self-driving car. So we shot with using this technology called LiDAR, maybe you guys have heard of that. And then I animated it, and then it told this story of what would happen if that car was left of its own, the humans were gone. Because this was right when that bomb just went off. Now, you know, they blew up like a hydrogen bomb. I was like, what? That's crazy. And so it was, a, you know, it's a really tense time there. And I thought, what would it mean to be a car, and you're just, a, you're autonomous, you're intelligent, and so actually you're the car, and you're in this giant dome, and you're driving through the streets, and there are no people around, and you're telling the story, and you listen to that in surround and uh, kind of binaural, but a, a large surround space, so 3D audio in that sense. And I just think that's where we have to start. We have to start with questions about how we are in the world, and we live in a 3D world, so why not experience that in a 3D way? That was a lot. Ugh, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, I'll be here all week. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm Seth. Um, I think, much like Daniel, my work revolves around designing experiences and much uh, less so focusing just on 3D audio, but I, uh, I've explored a lot about how 3D audio can be a tool for creating much more immersive and convincing experiences, uh, and largely because sound carries a lot of information. It's very information dense. Um, so my work has varied from installations at Pioneerworks exploring uh, synthetic habitats uh, to doing 3D audio for, uh, for VR. And a lot, <clears throat> a lot of my work revolves around sort of creating these synthetic environments using 3D audio. So how can we, how can we synthesize uh, new worlds and how can we explore them in, using 3D audio? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Keep it short Yeah, man, I know. <laughs> I was just like going on forever. <laughs> So let me tell you about my family. <laughs> no, I wrote my, I, wrote, I left my manifesto at home, but yeah. Um, when we had conversations about this uh, amongst ourselves, it got really kind of philosophical and heady pretty quickly. Um, that's what happens when you have Daniel in the room, but also I think that's what happens when you have artists in the room. Um, and you know, I think the crux of this um, for me, which was really interesting, is um, thinking about how uh, spatial audio is really linked to our sense of perception and the way that we uh, experience the world around us and have a sense of our uh, place within that environment. Um, and the 
desire or potentiality of being able to give access to someone, um, you know, your sense of perception through the recording of that um, environmental ambiance and sound. Um, so I, I would love to maybe use that as a starting point because, I don't know, that feels to me like the very essence of what um, this technology allows. Um, but also that idea carries with it a lot of interesting problems that it might be um, cool to unpack. So, um, <laughs> you, you, yeah, don't look at me. Oh, they're looking at me. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll just say this: that, that there's a there's a problem for sound and list and stuff is that we we don't have a vocabulary. That's why I do that exercise. Is because I mean, not to get too heady about this, but there's no semiotics of sound. You have to come up with your own language and description system to be able to talk about it. Every individual, just like a visual designer comes up with their visual language, every individual that designs using sound has to come up with their own way and their own library and their own aesthetic for that. So one of the cool things about that, though, like what you're talking about, is that you then start to, this is where it gets crazy, it's kind of meta, but you have to actually understand how you listen to things. So you have to technically, like Pauline Oliveros once said with deep listening, you have to listen to how you listen which is crazy. It's really hard to do. And so that's what I love about the challenge with this binaural stuff is that it already asks you to do that. It already says to you, you know what? Now you're going to pay attention to the world around you that you constantly take for granted. And then you're going to ask somebody else if they want. I love the social aspect of it. You're going to ask somebody else if they want. You can listen maybe to how I listen for a few seconds. Like, like I recorded the subway today and I was like, I never listen to this shit. It's like noise. And I'm just like, oh, heads down seven, you know, forever in New York, heads down, leave me alone, you know? And, uh, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm just paying attention to the micro conversation as it goes by. And then I'm thinking somebody might listen to how I listen to this. And it's very exciting. It's a very exciting time. So I think that aspect of, of this particular technological intervention can really heighten people's ability to not only perceive but even begin down the long very difficult path of perceiving other how other people perceive and that to me is like that's mind-blowing that's really hard to do and that's that's what i think is, is pretty cool about it yeah yeah i think and you know sort of springboarding off that i think there's also a lot of potential for this technology to place people in the same space so i think i remember the first time i facetime audioed with someone and it was it sounds so simple but normal normal telephone conversations are are severely compressed um so the first time I FaceTime audioed with someone, I was in China for work, and I called one of my, my coworkers, and she answered the phone, and I remember she had just fallen asleep or something. She answered the phone kind of sleepy, and I was like, I sound like I'm right next to you. This is really strange. And so I think there's a possibility for the exact same thing with, uh, with binaural audio, 3D audio becoming a commonplace technology that we can, we can all also sort of commune in the same spaces in a weird way, and that being... Uh, sound being one of our senses um, that that sort of places us there, uh, this technology can help us. Well, when we talked about this earlier, we cheated. We talked a little before so that we could you not know, like you know because that's what we do. Full transparency. Full transparency, right? We just didn't talk a lot. We were just mostly talked about 
DJs in London, but um, so, the, so, but, the, but the, 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 when we talked about this Wasn't earlier, much to you, talk you, about. no, no, I know. Oh, <laughs> we get into that later on, later on, later on. All right, so we we talked about this for a second. Not to like jump in too much, but that's what I do. But I think um, you you had said also there's like incredible potential for binaural recording of like concerts, right? Like, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I was like, what happens? It's like if the Grateful you, Dead tapes, but you know, 2017. Yeah, yeah, you total taper. Yeah, I can see that in you. So the thing is, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. kidding. So one of the things that we talked about, like this kind of like spatial displacement thing was that what would happen if you'd made that same phone call, but it was binaural audio and you were at the concert. Like she ends up being in her bed, but like, first of all, she wakes up and you're like at a show, right? But then, you know what I mean? So I think that's what you were getting at is like this kind of like spatial displacement is like a really golden opportunity um have you ever like i mean you've done some binaural stuff right so yeah do you do you think about that when you construct i mean do you do a lot of like artificial construction of spaces right like so that's yeah that's a a, that's sort of a goal of mine yeah and so considering i mean and, it, uh, and for me a lot of times it's very basic things like uh this space sounds a certain amount reverberant and the second that you recreate that people have a sense of what room they're in. And then you've set a scene without giving anyone a picture. Um, and I think beyond that, there's, there's even more to consider. I'm really interested in how we create um, really vivid pictures um, using exclusively sound, especially because we live in such a visual culture. Um, and I think we are becoming an increasingly visual culture, like, you know, my friends and I, half the time, we don't communicate in words. We communicate in GIFs and emoji, right? Um, and one of the most interesting experiences that I had recently uh, with sound was a narrative that was told um, almost exclusively through sound with zero visuals. Um, it was actually a virtual reality experience called Notes on Blindness. And there were some visuals, but it was basically this guy who was going blind uh, doing these audio recordings about losing his sight. And so the visuals that were there were very kind of like, you know, pointillist in a way, or they were, you know, implying of, of something. And it was really just this rich soundscape that captured uh, your imagination and created um, these very vivid mental images um, based on that sound. And so, you know, how do we, um, how do we circumvent our visual culture um, or subvert it or what have you um, and really focus on creating um, beautiful imagery with sound? Yeah, well, um, I think this was something I was aiming to do with a project of mine I did at uh, Pioneer Works, um, which was called Synthetic Habitats, and it was about taking uh, the Macaulay Library of Ornithology's library of, I think, 200,000 audio recordings uh, over maybe 50 years of recording, uh, mostly birds, uh, but also various animals, and seeing how you could use uh, a multi-channel audio system, um, which, you know, which I rendered in binaural as well, so it's a you know, similar platform. But uh, how we could recreate habitats using this data set and using different ways of searching it. So, you know, some of the things you can do is tell stories with it. Um, one of the stories I was able to tell, I, I could search the database and tell it to play only elephants. And it was like, only elephants, that's interesting. Or only, uh, only cetacea, so only basically whales. And it's kind of creepy. Or only wolves. But you could do 
only endangered animals or only extinct animals. And then you start kind of telling this, it's like a synthetic narrative as well. Um, I think along with that is giving people, uh, kind of what Daniel was talking about earlier, there's a certain amount of literacy around, uh, around this. We're such a visual culture and we're so tuned to uh, understand things that we see very immediately. Um, but things that we hear are not so so immediate. I think that there's maybe a certain amount of education that needs to happen um, in introducing people to these things. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the, yeah, I know this thing. All right, fine. There's a problem that people have in relation to this conversation in general where there's a misunderstanding of sound and listening. To listen to something, right, means to pay attention. Listen up. Listen up. Right? Now y'all paying attention. That doesn't mean listen to me. It means pay attention. Right? So when you start to talk about the attention economy as it relates to, like, global conditions, how to garner that through um, anything, how to get that attention to the things that matter through anything, that's, that's great. Here's where sound rules is that it can do that subtly. It can shift you and move you and get to you when you're least paying attention. And that, I think the power of that underpinning in your society, I'll give, I'll give you an example. Like, um, like oh, geez, um, the cool, oh, right, so two things I got to say. The cool fact is that they're always going to play like fast music when you're shopping because you're going to get through there faster, right? But also at like fast food restaurants, right? And that like move to underpin your experience, right? That's, that's where you have an obligation as a person to not pay attention. Like, your job is to not pay attention. Your job is to get your hardies and get the hell out. I don't know if anybody eats hardies anymore, but I just like that example. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is there's this subtle underpinning there that's actually running through. So if you really want to be a subversive act, if you really want to do something radical these days, Listen, like if you really want to pay attention, get out into the streets and listen to a stranger talking. Not creep, you know, I know you get into creeping and stuff, but I'm just saying like for me, just get, get in, get, no, I do, I mean, whatever. So, but, um, but, but what I'm trying to say is like, get in there and do that because actually that's a radical act. Because my head's down today on the subway, I remembered that. I was like, I'm out of touch with the streets of New York City because I live in my bubble just like everybody does. So I think what you're saying, a level of education, is a level of attention and a vulnerability which we have evacuated from, from culture. And I think that's where the problem sits for me in that how do you educate people to do that? And what better way to do that than through actually putting some headphones on? What better way to do that to be like, be like oh, just check out this track. So I think music, sound, audio is a great way to get people to, to jumpstart that process. Maybe they'll start paying attention to their, their world more. I mean, what you're talking about makes me think about how much sound has a capacity to trigger and manipulate our emotions. Like, so many times the thing that, you know, makes me cry in a movie is not what's happening on the screen, it's the soundtrack underneath. Like, play me some violins, yeah. <laughs> you know? You're not alone. Um, Sandra Bullock, rom-coms that you're dying at, I know that, I know that, I got you, all right. Um, and I'm curious, too, about, you know, as it relates to binaural audio and 3D sound, you know, does that allow us to capture and convey emotion with more 
depth and texture than otherwise is possible? I don't know. I, I think it's a continuation of a, an already occurring trend. So in the 50s or 60s, we had stereo music come out, and it was like a scientific revolution, and this artist Esquivel was making these albums, was it experiments in uh, stereo, stereophonic music or something, and he was just like making these weird sound effects and going from left to right, like, boing, you know, and it was blowing everyone's mind. Um, and then that sort of fed into a, a time period where... Um, the music studio, like the production studio, then became an art tool or a, uh, a musical instrument in its own right. And so I think that this is just a continuation of that trend. Um, and I think, it's a, I think it is a positive trend. I, it's hard to say specifically what it is that makes it artistic. I think if you consider pitch as a perceptual quality, then you can consider spatial audio as a perceptual quality. And for me, that's what informs a lot of uh, some, uh, some of the work that I've done is that that as a, a creative medium, um, just like pitches. So putting moving the sound across the room with a Doppler effect might be just as effective as playing you know, a certain scale or a certain note. Um, I got to do this. I mean, I think you're totally right on about that. And I think that there's like multiple tiers of experience that can be uh, accessed through new technologies. And some of them can be positive. Like, for example, we did this like workshop. Now AR kit and all this stuff is around, right? And all, all the kids got it. And like you can get your Star Wars going on any minute you want. Drop a droid on the ground. But for a minute, there wasn't around. So we did this stuff over at Google. Uh, it's called Tango. It was like basically the same thing, but bigger and clunkier. And, uh, and, um, sorry, Google. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, you know, we did this thing, but there was this great group that actually did this stuff. What they did was, um, they were like, uh, everybody was so fetishizing, like the visual, the ability to like drop an image on a chair right there. Right. Like, and I can read the room. I can scan the room. I can know what's in the room. And they said, cool. Just like Notes on Blindness or another film by Juan César Montero, which was called, uh, where he like put the, his jacket over the camera in the first minute and a half of the film and you watch the rest of the film in the dark. Just like that thing, they said, forget it. We're just going to use pings for echolocation in the room. And we're going to make it an assistive tool for a, an AR assistive tool. So it'll scan the room for you if you're blind and then it will send pings and you will get responses back as you get closer and farther from where you need to go a guidance system for the blind on an augmented reality system. And we were all like, damn, that was smart. Why didn't we think of that? Because we were just making like bees and stuff. And so, and, and, and I think that's the point is that like all of this stuff for me, it's like, I love technology and I always have since I was like a little kid. But um, nowadays I'm just like, how can I use this to make the world suck less? Like, that's basically it. Like, is there anything I can do that's just, I don't think it's going to be awesome. I don't think this world's, to be honest with you, not in my lifetime, it's not going to be like awesome world. But it could like suck definitely less. So like, I just feel like for me, binaural audio, the exciting part about it is that could I, what I dream of is maybe you could do this for your next project. Or maybe I'll help you out. Whatever, whoa, whoa, collabo, yo, what up? But like, uh, what if we just could get like, like, I don't know what Sennheiser actually has planned on this, too. What if we could get, like, a really massive social archive of spaces that we could experience, and I could, say, spend a day listening as if I were somebody else? Like, would you do it? You have to ask yourself. 
And then if you could, what would that be? You know what I mean? I would do, I don't know. I mean, it's funny that you... You do it? All right. (laughs) Try it. Collabos. It's funny that you're talking about, you know, like essentially using binaural audio to create empathy by putting you in someone else's shoes, right? Which, because like so much of binaural audio's recent comeback has been, I think spearheaded by virtual reality and augmented reality, which are essentially trying to do the same thing, right? It's essentially trying and, you know, the the dubious name of, like, empathy machine, which we're not here to debate that. Um, however... <laughs> this is exactly what I said to Daniel earlier. We were wrapping up our... <laughs> I like chat. To I guess, like, part of me just dies every time. It's fine. It's fine. We're not not here to debate that term. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's cool. It's cool. However, I think the point is that um, a lot of us have the same impulse that you're articulating of how can we use these tools to help us understand one another's lived experience or the lived experience of someone so vastly different from me so that perhaps we can create bridges, we can uh, become mobilized to pursue some form of, of change. I don't know. That's what I'm hearing from you. I don't know if I'm projecting, but... I don't think you're, proje- I don't think you're projecting. I mean, the, with the earliest, the first... So I used to teach... Uh, uh, I taught high school for two years. You actually through Dia and IBM. IBM was an earlier kind of iteration of arts technology. And uh, I, I, there was this guy, Mike, uh, I forgot his last name, and he had come up with a really cheap way to make a kit to solder your own binaural headphones, and I did it for my students. It was like $15. And we sat down and we soldered them, and they went out, and there, it was a year-long class, and there, it was called Sound in the City, and they would just map their neighborhoods through sound. And they came back, and half of them screwed up the soldering, so I got the greatest artifacts in the universe. Like, it was like half minor, it would like crackle out or do all these amazing things. But some of them also nailed it, and we would just sit there and take the time and listen to each other in headphones, worlds. And they were blown away because somebody, you know, from the Rockaways was hanging out with somebody with the Lower East Side and they got to be, and they'd never even gotten to go to the Rockaways. So there's something about being somewhere else. That's the transportation element. That's the, that's the, I don't know if you can, I wouldn't say that I can understand somebody else's world, you know, but I could say I could be there for a minute. And I think the idea of being there is like what, you know, what, what AR, VR, that kind yeah. of stuff. I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure where I stand on the ability to, um, be in someone else's shoes. I think that's variant a lot on the person, and obviously it's it's just a different thing. But what I kind of consider that to be is the, uh, the ability to transport you to a new place. In in essence, it's all of your senses being able to take in different information, right? And we have a lot of senses. And I think what's incredible about this is that uh, this technology and this uh, this growing ability is that we can communicate massive amounts of information to people in a different way. So visual, uh, visual sense is kind of already, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, there's no real estate left. <laughs> I mean, maybe there is, but it's, it's really well marked out. Um, I think with sound, it's, a, it's an entire sense that we don't realize how high of a rate of information we can receive from it, how quickly, how, um, how, how well, like how hardwired it is into us. And I think what this gets into is like a whole embodiment thing where we, we, we are beginning to realize that computers basically let us do like 
look at a screen and like move our hand and type some things and like that's the only interaction we have with our senses and our abilities with a computer and um, now we carry computers in our pockets and we can start thinking about how we can tie them into all of our other senses in a much more organic way. Yeah, I mean, I guess my, my question with computer, like, you know, man, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm going to go on the record with this. I, I do love computers. Computers are cool. I'm going to go ahead and say that. <laughs> Just putting it out there. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I know it's risky. I know I'm being ballsy. Whatever. I'm crazy. And computers are cool. So, you know, computers are cool. Computers are cool. And just like, just like with like digital recording, their capacity is limited. Their understanding is limited. You know, psychoacoustics, the, the range beyond listening, the ability for us to reperceive our worlds, that's amazing, right? But it, it's not there, and it's not going to be there. And when I look at what AI is doing and the mistakes it makes, you know, right now, for example, I don't know if you all, well, there's two things. One, I'm not letting you escape without knowing about that GIF thing I was going to tell you about. But the other one is, I don't know if you guys are following this thing about how, um, let me get this all wrong, but basically, we were talking about it earlier. There, this recording combined with the other recordings that I have on the internet of my voice is enough to emulate me. That's done. Y'all can be copied. And I mean, that was the dream of Fourier analysis. The ability, the thing that generates your waveform was the dream of being able to replicate the human voice. Also to control the weather, but that's a different story. So one of the things that's really amazing about that is that we're now at the point where I, the, the I that I am is so defined by my voice. The I of I and thou, the me-ness of me, like you, you can get photoshopped like any second, right? Like even I can photoshop you on my phone. I will actually later, but I feel like like the, the point of it is like you can do that, you could do that right away. But the voice was this sacred domain, right? The voice was truth, you know. Like your fingerprint. Like your, fi but even beyond, like the voice was truth, and now the voice, the domain of the voice is no longer sacred. So I think that the the the, the mechanisms by which we can garner trust and the ability to like do that, we have to protect that a little bit, and we have to work towards a, uh, an understanding of each other that goes beyond just the voice. We could also start to learn to see how others listen and how they learn and how they perceive, you know. And that's why I think this is like a rich man. I'm going off. I'm sorry, but this is like a rich subtext to that. Is that we if we really want to get there? I mean, the voice is. I don't know, man. I mean, you can be copied, right? That's the deal, right? Biometrics are dead. Oh, biometrics are dead. Oh, no. <laughs> Sad face. Um, yeah. All right. Um... Light, light note. <laughs> so, see y'all. Drop the mic. All right. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Curious to know if there's any like thoughts in the room or questions or contributions. Like, you know, I'm sure some of y'all have opinions. Maybe you want to argue with Daniel. I welcome that. I'd like to argue with Daniel. Actually, it's so easy. Yeah. 
Sure, sure, sure. All right, so um, so to Daniel's point, like music or David, sorry, your point is that like it could transport you or sound can transport you in, in just listening. Um, right now, if I listen to a song from, you know, 1992, it'll take me back to, to middle school. And I'll remember so exactly you. where I was. Yeah, yeah. But like, but... <laughs> Thanks, man. Haven't heard that in a while. Appreciate you for coming out. Um, Quiet, quiet, Dad. But now, now with this new technology that's out there, I could probably listen to something from home, as you said, and and be immersed into a different environment. So whether that's uh, someone's cultural experience around the world, or at a or or at a uh, you know some sort of music festival, as as mentioned earlier. what are the effects of this long term? Am I going to, in 10, 12 years, um, hear a sound and it transports me to a time where I'm thinking about a place that I might have been, but I wasn't, and it's just a, a big fuck show in my head? It's interesting. I mean, I don't know, but no, I've had, does, right? but I've had um, conversations with people, especially in the VR community, who talk about uh, having dreams or memories about virtual reality experiences they had as if they were like their own lived experience. Yeah, because if these sounds are so vivid that I'm actually imagining exactly what's going on, then that's my own perception. It's ingrained. Yeah, I think anything that is um, experienced in a more embodied way, I think maybe, and I'm not a neuroscientist, but you know, um, I think it There is a theory of embodied cognition um, where when you experience something physically through your body, your brain processes and stores that information in a different way. And so I imagine that, you know, what you're describing is very, very possible. But maybe Daniel's looking at me quizzically, so maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) I'm just going to school. I'm learning. I'm and not again, th- this is op-ed. I understand that this isn't the domain expertise here, but I mean, this sounds like it, it, I'm, I'm sure you guys have thought about this being in the work that you do. It sounds like it'd make a great Neil Stevenson novel. <laughs> Fair enough. Should we get? Do we have writers in the room? <laughs> no, but I do think there's something really important about this question of of authentic memory. You know, and when you start to mess with that and the simulate the zone operating in the zone of simulation, right? Operating in the zone of simulation, we all do it, like, and it's been around for a long time. But when you're fully immersed in simulation, you know, I think I saw a South Park episode where like Cartman was trapped for like 24 hours in VR, and then he and then he turned. You know what I mean? Like, God bless Cartman, right? But I have to tell you, it's sort of you're in a position where you know, and there's been a lot of writers from like. Leotard and and you know onwards that have tried to address what the postmodern condition is and in a lot of ways it is a simulation. So you know I'm no Elon Musk to sit up here and say we're just in a large generated condition. Like I I actually believe this shit is real. But I will tell you one thing. Like my buddy plays VR video games and he's tweaked. He's been having nightmares left and right. And your body has haptic memory, it has the types of cognitive experience, and you're not equipped as a beast and being to be able to separate from that. What were we just talking about, like ears and stuff I, like I, that? I feel like this already occurs in the social media realm. Yeah. I, like this already happens, you can show people a series of fake news articles, they won't have any memory of actually seeing them and you'll, swift, you'll sway their opinion. So. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a very it sounds like a very real fear and I think it's already occurring in in a 
an existent like virtual reality, not a, a head headspace. Oh yeah, and that's like like I'm gonna totally riff on that segue for a second. Did you all get that GIF thing where you? You watch GIFs, but it's of, and you hear the sound of the GIF, but there's no I, sound I in GIFs. I wanted to bring GIFs. that up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's your GIF thing. I got to send this around to you. It's so dope. You're just like, oh, that sounds great. And you're like, wait, it's a GIF. There's no sound on GIFs. And your brain fills in the gaps. And you want that. You want that. Your body is a machine, and the machine loves patterns. You survived off patterns. And so pattern recognition combined with the fact that the oral nerve is directly tied to your brain for survival, you, you, pump, you pump that information in here, and it's something that triggers a pattern, whether it's real or not, you don't have a lot of choice. You're just going to do the thing. You know what I mean? Your body's going to react. You're going you're gonna to be a machine. Do you guys uh, listen in colors and stuff? Oh, uh, synesthesia? Guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys experience that? You're doing ASMR stuff, though. Okay. <laughs> so I don't want to talk about that. No, we're not talking about that. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about it afterwards, but not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're, we're not talking about ASMR. <laughs> not here. Talking, 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 talking about. It. <laughs> it's dirty. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not a synesthete. Uh, I know some, but um, no, I'm not. I'm not. I do. I do experience ASMR. You have ASMR. I don't have I, ASMR. I think so. Yeah. My. You know. To my neck. Oh, you tingles, get the tingles. I get the tingly thing. Yeah. Should I? That's just... a that's a whole. Actually, that was a really interesting point that we discussed. Yeah. yeah. And we should just talk about that. We, we have time to talk about that. So, do we have time? That's, I feel like that is to me that is the. I mean, it's based off a of physical phenomena, but that is a prime example of a binaural or very like sure. spatialized specific sound that is an entire network on YouTube. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of ASMR stars on YouTube and they have followers. They are ASMR stars. I follow them on Twitter. They have whole lives. They have whole, um, because of YouTube, they have this weird representation of, of themselves online yeah. as stars. And no, that, I, that's a network and that exists and that's based off of binaural technology. So, so it's all, a show of hands. Who does ever, it's, it's all good because it's a podcast so nobody can see. How many of you, does anybody not know what ASMR is? Show your hand. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Nobody do, knows. Do you know the acronym? What? Do you remember the acronym? No, no, man. I don't, I don't. Okay. So um, it says some sort of response, something, something, something response. Essentially what it is is that there's a, like, like synesthesia, which has like a subset of people, there are a subset of people that get triggered with an incredible, it's not erotic, but sort of um, a little, uh, a pleasure little. zone response that feels physical and it's in your brain. So your scalp tingles and the back of your neck tingles and you have these things. But what triggers it is like literally, usually the most banal. Actually, I have a proposal. Yes. Let's do a simulated ASMR experience no, right now. You ready? <laughs> okay, you're going to start. No, did this you have to read like a, a, like a, like a, a stereo, a stereo, stereo. Yeah, so today. And so we're this just is like, like what they do. They go on YouTube and they have paper and they tear it. And they'll whisper in your ear. And they talk very softly. And for some people, like for me, the back of your neck stands up. It's like a really pleasant experience, and people will watch these videos. Yeah, but the one that I'm super into, the one that you, I don't know, I got to send it your way. It's, it's just a woman describing a sandalwood box for, thir for 10 minutes. She's like, I'm just going to put my hand across the top of the box here. We're just going to touch the box. Touching the box, and it's, and oh, it's such a nice box. And I'm just going to feel the wood next to my fingers. It's just really nice. And people are just going crazy. They're just going crazy. They're just like, ah. And I'm just like, what is going on? 
yeah. That's because everyone dropped Molly before walking into the No, no. Room. I mean, I don't think so. No, it's like a thing. It's like a thing. But, but, but the synesthesia thing, I know some folks who have that, and it's a really profound thing. Uh, do you all know what that is? That's where, like, you know, somebody sees the color orange when they hear, like, the, the, a B-flat. Or, like, I can smell car. Or you could, uh, well, you could smell a car. You could smell a car. Yeah. But that's cool that you could smell cars. Yeah. I think the thing is, like, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a one sensation gets superimposed upon another. So it's actually a really interesting condition where um, some people uh, associate a color with a pitch or a, um, a pitch with a particular color, for example. So that happens with a very, used to be thought a very small population. Turns out it's around 11 or 12% of the population has that ability to do that. And I think we all kind of feel like we could do that. But that belief set, man, that's actually one of the foundational elements of... of um, like both color theory and visual art, like uh, philosophy with Goethe and frozen music and architecture. Like it's like one of the foundational elements is that you can kind of see colors through sound. And like, I really love that. I mean, I think that's like a really beautiful and powerful thing. So I wonder, and I'll throw this back to Julia. Julia, what's up? Do you, when you, do you, do you associate like a colors with particular types of music? Like if you if you heard jazz, does it bring up like a kind of color? Oh, it's definitely blue. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, uh, I associate music more so with mood and memory, less so with color. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so for those that are, that are staring at me and it's quiet, um, Neil Harbison is a human cyborg, and what they've essentially, what they've done is, um, so he's blind. He's colorblind. He's colorblind, colorblind exactly. Colorblind. And for him to now see colors, they, um, they put an antenna of sorts, I guess. They implanted. Go for it. Run. Yeah. Run. Yeah. Yeah. Run. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So this is something that he um, did. Uh, he implanted a antenna um into his, I guess, limbic node? I don't know what... Brain. Yeah, into his brain. Um, and it allows him to uh, see colors as sound. So, essentially, yeah. Um, and he does, like, music performances with this thing and uh, paints by color. It's really amazing. And his girlfriend, uh, Moon... Like, no, they're just, like working partners okay just kidding sorry no for realsies for realsies yeah yeah his no, partner I'm just his being partner honest, like for real. i apologize his partner moon yeah. um has a sensor embedded in her arm and she feels earthquake vibrations yeah so, so she hers is interesting because it's sort of like an his is actually based upon a need and hers is based upon a desire which is a really interesting place to jump off like she wanted to participate in the world in an augmented way so she gets triggered every single time there's an earthquake anywhere in the world. Not the earthquake, just, I always like to clarify that because she's like, yo, every 100 years she gets a vibration. No, she gets kicks all the time because she's tied into the global seismic um, uh, database, essentially. Whenever an event is occurring, she gets the kicks. She gets to feel it. So she participates, and then she does dance performances based on that. So one of the things that I think that's most interesting about this, and we were talking about this earlier, I don't mean to like go off about this stuff, but um, the Sennheiser Posse was 
you know, cool. And they gave us some headphones and we were playing with them and we were kind of tossing around the idea of like, what could we make with this stuff? You know what I mean? And it's like, we haven't figured it out yet, but, but we were talking about like, it, it weds you to the real. Like right now it's like, you know, if we were talking about VR, it'd be like 360 video. You know what I mean? It's not like, um, at this point, but we haven't really even spent a minute on this. I don't know. I don't know. Have you thought about like what you want to do with some, some, some binaural stuff yeah, these I days? Have some, I have some uh, ASMR related ideas. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. I think we have a question. Yeah, yeah. That was actually kind of where my question was going. Oh, cool. Um, so, I mean, binaural, you know, recording devices have been around for a while. You know, Pearl Jam put out binaural 20 years ago. Um, more. <laughs> uh, so how do you see people experiencing binaural in a different way? Because a lot of times, you know, the reason why that head exists is so that way you can capture the way the sound bounces off of someone's chest. So how do you see the technology getting implemented in a way so that someone can feel that in, say, a movie environment? You know, a lot of sound is how that vibration affects you. So if it's an explosion, it makes your seat rumble, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was definitely a goal of a lot of my work um, in creating, uh, working with actual speakers. And, and uh, I was working with an 8.2 system on, on both of my recent projects because um, there, there is a visceral part of an experience where you feel the sound. I mean, I think currently uh, audio is actually in a great place because there's been a big push with VR to do realistic audio, um, which we talked about earlier. Also, increasingly, everyone is wearing headphones everywhere. I don't know what that means for culture, but it means that everyone is primed to do binaural audio. Like, you have two isolated speakers in your ears, and you only have two ears, so it really could not be better than that. I mean, in in theaters. I mean, theaters already have pretty well, incredible yeah, but sound systems, right? You could sort of change the way that. I mean, ultimately, in a surround speaker environment, it's not going to feel like it's whipping by your head. It's going to feel like it's whipping around you, but not necessarily right by your ear. You I'm know? personally, I'm more interested in the at-home experience. Like, screw the, the theater. How does it disrupt Netflix and chill? You know, <laughs> do not disrupt my Netflix and chill. Okay, sorry, not disrupt, augment. I mean, that's all right. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing. I I, I have to say that um, I'm I'm situated somewhere between all of it. Uh, I started as doing sound for film, and in you know I did a lot of feature films, and there was a definite camp of folks who were really focused on large budget Hollywood production. And I, I have done some of that. And there was a large camp of folks that were just really focused on um, quieter moments. You know, I did films like Old Joy or Junebug or uh, Fog of War or things like that that are quieter moments that you, you try to give the space to the experience that's the entire cinematic experience. I mean, I don't know how many of y'all have gone to theaters but i go see all my hollywood films in downtown brooklyn at the court street cinema yeah all right why because when i saw avatar somebody stood up and goes y'all guys got a knife and stood up right in front of me is like get away from the blue guy and i was like all right cool because it's participatory and it's all about being in that cinema breaking those fourth walls like getting involved with your community that's around you getting popcorn 
Like spilling your popcorn is part of the bargain. And so it's like, for me, cinema as an experience is a different experience than Netflix and do not interrupt my chill. But Netflix and chill or whatever, Netflix. So I guess my question is, if we have this ability to simulate at such a granular level, what is the moment for that experience? What is the good moment for that experience? Like I almost, I almost question the desire to violate that My Court Street Cinema moment. Like, I don't want it to be perfect. You know, have you guys seen that photo of, like, VR with Mark Zuckerberg, you know, where he's just, like, an army of drones with their, like, masks on, and everybody's just like, mm, you know, like that? I don't want that in my cinema. I want my cinema to have somebody, like, stand up and be like, hey, I got a knife. That's me. That's just me. That's what I'm saying. So. Hi. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we're here in a Sennheiser room, and I was kind of interested in about how the hardware and the software and the psychoacoustics come together. Uh, people have been working on multi-track, multi-channel, Dolby 5.1, you know, for decades now in cinema and home and home theater. Um, how much do you think the advancements in the hardware, the processing power, all the DSPs, the room placement, all of those little, little, little things come to bear? Are they important? And I live in a world I play with kind of high-end audio where moving a speaker an inch or two can have a, a huge impact as to how things sound. And so you need a fair amount of expertise to get all of that stuff aligned properly. And you know, how does that all come together to affect the experience? Yeah, okay, cool. We got this. No problem. We're all, I mean, <laughs> We're all I Dolby experts here, so no problem. We got this. Uh, I left my Dolby manual at home. Yeah. I, I, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna tell you something. This is just. I'm gonna put this in the form of an anecdote briefly, which is, I did my first films in just actually, just down the block from here. I was on Green Street and Canal in a room that at five from five to eight p.m. I couldn't work because that corner too many honks. You know what I mean? It was just like constant traffic. My room was as 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 like soundproofed as 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 nothing. You know, I had to work crazy hours just to be able to get my, my thing done. And I was petrified because I had to go into Sound One, which was in Midtown, and bring my tracks in. And they were going to be judged by the Dolby man because he was a man. And his Dolby man is going to come in and be like, what is this? And everybody around me was going to be like, it's $500 a second to be here. And you're going to be like, Ugh, I don't know. I'm sorry. And guess what? That's what went down. Because the truth is the constraints at that time were phenomenal. And over the years, that has, just as the home studio environment, that has become less and less of an issue. Dolby technology has given the affordance for people with less uh, economies, a room that's is still as crappy and shitty as my little green street. You could do that movie now. And that to me is cool. I like the fact that I can now do the same thing as a designer that uh, now a studio musician can do with their laptop in their bedroom. And that to me, I'm, I'm, I, I support that. So, you know, at the end of the day, as a creator, as somebody that hopes to make something for other people to appreciate, you want to be able to do that. And you should be able to do that at any scale, with any economy, with the most minimum amount of tools possible. And I, I advocate for that. So I hope that this binaural stuff continues down that path so that people can, of any level, can be making stuff. Yeah, I think you're definitely, there's definitely a trend towards, with all technology, towards um, making things more uh, accessible 
to consumers. So I think with this headset, it was pretty amazing to see that they have essentially onboard DSP. It can do active uh, like noise cancellation onboard, um, all sorts of other things that seem to be built into it that um, just are happening very quickly and very impressive. Uh, I think for me, in, in, in my approach, um, my background's not in 3D audio. No one ever sat me down and said, okay, here's how you do 3D audio, Seth. Like, I, no one even sat, I took a few production classes and that's it. So it's been a total fake it till you make it. Um, I think tools, uh, tools that have made things a lot more accessible to me are ones by uh, EarCam, which is uh, a French institute that does spatialization. And they make an amazing tool set for Macs called SPAT. And I use that heavily in that. Um, yeah, and, and, and just like Daniel was saying, the, the availability for sort of bedroom producers has really has really uh, been a game changer. Well, it's interesting too because video democratization has come such a long way, like with the iPhone, and now everyone's like you know a potential filmmaker. But I don't know that the same level of sophistication has happened with audio recording tools. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I think that's true. I think it there's such a large range of audio recording tools too mm -hmm. that it's it's a it's a it's a hard space uh you had mentioned uh you know wanting to use this technology to make the world suck less <laughs> good luck right but and yeah I'll try. I, well, I i want to know if if there's a way to prevent people from using the technology to make it suck more i i, I can uh you know picture a world where like my listening experience is uh hijacked or um you know where i'm by like, advertising exactly where, where i'm like maybe taken somewhere and put in like an audio environment that i maybe don't want to be in um and if, if that's just the you know inevitable future or if like no, right no. now artists are having fun with it and then later like every time you see a commercial on TV and they jack up the volume. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that there is one thing I would always say about that. There is no inevitable future. There is the future that you choose and deem to empower. And, you know, if there's one thing I would say about particularly the privilege of being in this country as, as fucked up as it is uh, right now politically, I still feel that you have the right and the ability to determine as much of your future as anyone else does in the world. And so I would say you take that moment and you take that and you do the same thing. When Guantanamo Bay prisoners were being tortured with music at 100 bazillion vo um, decibels of volume and put in a cold room, there was a massive movement of musicians who prevented that. And they went and they said, you're not using my track. You have to stay. I'm, I'm sorry to like to end on this. Like I know it's like uncool, but I, and I know I've been like, like, but that is the onus and responsibility of all people who wield new to tools of and that is actually the onus and responsibility of artists. I actually think it starts with artists and it's their job to do that work and never give up on that work. And so I love that question. I think it's good. I would also tell you that um, like any tool, it has power and has amazing things you can do with it. And if you could share an experience in a space that is your own with someone else, it's like an amazing thing and it's new. And so that I also would recommend. I would say always subvert, what were we calling it, um, sucky power with 
awesome power. <laughs> that sounds so trite. But like really, like what could you do rather than just being like stop, you could subvert it. So I would always just encourage Crowded you to harness out. that. Crowded yeah. out with better things. Crowded out with better things, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to get all like high horsey, but I just like, I believe in that, you know. Thanks, everyone. And thank you guys um, for <laughs> yeah. being such an entertaining panel. Oh, thanks. Would, would you thanks. like to offer any uh, final thoughts, each of you, one last final thought as you reflect on this conversation or about 3D audio in general or just listening or... Let's all listen for a minute <laughs> together. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I guess the only thing I would say going out is to thank everybody for hanging out this long and paying attention and listening to us. A big thank you to Julia Kagansky, Daniel Perlin, and Seth Kranzler, all of New Inc. And uh, a quick question for each of you. How can people connect with you and follow your work? Uh, Julia? Sure. Um, you can find New Inc. online at newinc.org, and that's N-E-W-I-N-C, not I-N-K. Uh, Twitter, uh, uh, it's the at symbol, you know, A, the at, the squiggly at symbol. And then it's uh, the letters D-J-N-R-O-N, like D-J Enron. It's a long story. I won't get into it, but that's it. So you, that's me. Daniel, Perlin, all right. Cool. And they can't email you. I don't, I'm, no, no more email, DJ Enron? I, I'm, 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 Enron does not take emails. <laughs> <laughs> and you, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at Polyrhythmic. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks to all of you for uh, adding so much dimension to 3D audio listening and uh, just audio in general and, and, uh, and paying attention to the world around us and trying to create a a better reality, a different reality, uh, a new reality. Uh, so that's it for this uh, incredible masterclass. Thank you so much to Sennheiser for making it possible, our great partners. And from all of us here at Mouth Media Network, uh, have a good day and uh, thanks uh, for listening. You've been listening to Content Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show, or to become a sponsor, email us at contentshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, contentisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. <laughs>